We've been in this series on James called Friend. Uh, and today we're going to be in the passage where we got the name of the series from. And it's the main point of the passage. And uh, for those of you that may be new or just kind of with us the past couple of weeks, in the book of James, he is writing a letter to the church at large. And he is trying to convert the converted. So he is writing to the church, people that have already stated their belief in God, have, are already participating in the body of Christ, yet something is off. And James has been talking to them about what has been off. Their, their actions have not lined up with their faith. And so he has said, you have been a friend of the world and not a friend of God. And what we've been going through every week is what does it mean to be a friend of God? What does it mean to be a friend of the world? This week, James makes it clear. This is the crux of the passage. This is the main point that he is trying to make. And we're going to read that in a second in James chapter 3, verse 13, all the way to chapter 4, verse 10, where James is trying to make it clear. Guys, yes, you are the church. Yes, you have faith, but you still need to be converted and this is James's sermon to try to convert the church back to the right ways of God that we are going to read today. You can read on both screens as we read through the passage, starting in chapter 3, verse 13. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James goes in. I mean, he's been going in every week, but he has been leading up to this point where he is trying to say, have you heard everything I have been saying? Well, now listen to this call. And in his sermon here, he starts off, it's two parts in this sermon. And the first part, the main part is the indictment against the church. 
This is what James has against the church. But then after that, after this indictment against the church, the second part says, this is how you should respond. This is the proper response that your church should have to what I am saying to you right now. So if you are here and you are not a Christian and you don't follow Jesus, then what you can do is you can take a backseat in understanding what is it that Christians are supposed to look like? How are they supposed to live? Because James is saying that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians but are not actually Christians. And there's a lot of Christians on the news quote unquote Christians, there's a lot of Christians in the media, a lot of Christians in talk, but James is saying, you have not been walking in the ways of Jesus. And so if we see these kind of things and we don't follow Jesus, then what we can learn from today is what are Christians actually supposed to look like? How are they supposed to actually live? And so as we read, let's remember the context as James is talking to the church. And we're going to just jump in and go kind of verse by verse in this beginning part, the indictment that James has to the church. In verse 13, he starts off with this, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James says to the church, if you are wise, prove it. Prove that you are wise. How can you prove it? Prove it with your actions. You received the implanted word. In James chapter one, he says, you have received the implanted word, what? Through meekness. And so we see right here that James says, let us show that meekness of wisdom through our actions. Let's see it with your deeds. And what did James also say in chapter one that we have to remember throughout today's sermon? He said, if anyone lacks wisdom, what? Pray to the God who gives generously. Pray to the God who gives wisdom generously. So throughout this entire sermon, if you're saying, man, I am struggling with some of that, I'm, I'm having a hard time walking in the wisdom that James is talking about, then you can begin to pray right now with me. God, can you give me wisdom? to the God who gives generously to those who ask. But here starts the indictment. James says, right, if you have wisdom, good, prove it with your actions. But, 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 but. Y'all ready? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. I'll be honest, I almost stopped the sermon here when I was doing sermon prep because that is one of my favorite verses in scripture. We could talk about that verse all day. James is saying, if your actions don't prove it, your wisdom, and instead in your heart, there is something else going on in scripture. When scripture talks about the heart, it's talking about the place of your affections. It's talking about your intentions. So he says, in your heart... If what's going on in your heart is selfish ambition, your behaviors are destructive to the community. They are self-serving rather than God-glorifying. If in your heart there is bitter jealousy, you are envious of what other people have, he's saying to the church, then don't boast. Don't act like you have it all together. Stop with the front of, oh, I'm doing blessed in Jesus' name. 
Go among you in peace. We read about that a couple of weeks ago. Stop at the front. Stop boasting. Stop acting like you have it all together. Because what you are doing, he says, you are lying against the truth, meaning that you are living in a way that is contrary to the word of truth that should be implanted in your heart. Your intentions, your desires, your affections, where do those things lie? Are they for self? Do they look at what other people have and become envious of those things? Are they destructive to the community? And if they are, then we need to look at our life and stop boasting about the great Christians that we are and stop lying against the truth that we say that we believe because that is not God's way. Some people always talk about the good things that they have in their life. But yet James is going to go into, well, if you, if you had to lie, if you had to cheat, if you had to steal, if you had to destroy your family, if you had to walk all over people in the church to get there, then stop boasting about what you have. And instead, examine the intention of your heart that it took for you to get there. Because that is more important than what you have. It's the character of what you formed in the process to get there. This is not God's way, James says in verse 15. It says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This type of wisdom is from below. James begins to contrast. What is wisdom from above? We'll read that in a minute. And this is wisdom from below. Wisdom from below is what? It is earthly. That means it is, it is the way of the world. This is the way the world does things. This is the way the world gets ahead, right? How does the world get ahead? Through ambition. That is all about self. You know, in, in business, you hear this line a lot. Don't take it personal. What, what does somebody mean when they're saying, don't take it personal? I'm gonna screw you over, but don't take it personal because this is business. I just gotta do what's right for me, right? I, I, we, we expect in the world that people are going to try to one-up or get one over on us. Why? Because we are doing what is better for me rather than what is better for everybody. This is earthly wisdom. It is unspiritual. This, is, this means it is wisdom from your, your flesh. What is the wisdom that is right in my own eyes? In the world today, we have what, in a postmodern culture, we have the relativism that has caught us today where everybody does what is right in their own eyes. There is no absolute truth and that there is no right and wrong. What is right and wrong is whatever you view as right and wrong. This is unspiritual wisdom. This is what we do, what is right in our eyes. It is demonic. You know, I love, I love that James keeps bringing this point home. Because if, if you've been following along with us, this is the third thing that he's calling demonic that the church is doing. The first thing that he said was demonic was he said their faith was demonic, that the church had faith of the demons. The second thing that he said was demonic was their speech was demonic. 
And now he is saying that their wisdom is demonic, that literally its origins of how they are living their life, the, the fruit and the deeds that they are doing, finds its origin in the demons, in their understanding, in their wisdom. The root of jealousy, the root of selfish ambition, no matter how far it takes you in life, no matter how good it looks on the outside, the root of it is not from God. It is demonic, it is unspiritual, it is earthly. We have read that those things will lead to unhealthy desire, which will conceive sin, which will ultimately birth death in our lives. If you don't believe me, then ask the people that have it all together and find that a lot of times they are more broken than the people that we see that don't have it all together. In the church, James says, if, if we begin, to, if we practice this wisdom of the world, practice this wisdom that is unspiritual, practice this demonic wisdom, then it's going to have consequences. It's going to have consequences in our body. It's going to have consequences as a church. In verse 16, he says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, where the worldly wisdom, where fleshly wisdom, where demonic wisdom exists, that this is the practice of the church, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There will be disorder in vile or mean practice. You know when there is disorder in the church? When one person wants a title somebody else has, and they're mad that they didn't get it, so they quit their ministry and then start talking bad about that other person because, well, do you know that I've been there longer and I deserved it more? And I, I should have been in the seat that that person got. They shouldn't have been elevated before me. And so it creates this unhealthy, demonic, fleshly, worldly conflict that starts bringing pride into play. It destroys morale. It destroys community. And it destroys the body. All right, when we begin to start thinking the way the world does, then we become an organization instead of being the church. We become people that look at the bottom line rather than look at how well we're discipling. We become a mirror of corporate rather than mirroring the Son of God. And this, what? It brings disorder into the church. It makes things how they're not supposed to become. Vile or mean practice literally was when the church people, we talked about what happened in the assembly is that they would practice justice in the assembly. If people had a dispute, they would go into the assembly and the elders would preside over a judgment for those people. And so when vile practice or mean practice, James is saying that literally church, other church people would take other church people to the church court because they wanted to exert their will over them. Because they wanted their way to win. They wanted to win the argument. They wanted to have injustice so that in their eyes they can have selfish justice. 
We already talked extensively about how the church was not serving justice to the poor and the place of judgment and how upset James was, was feeling about this. But now we begin to see the root. Why was that happening in the church? It was happening because the church's wisdom, the church's deeds, reflected a friendship with the world instead of a friendship with God. It happened because there was selfish ambition and bitter jealousy at the root of how the structure of the church was operating, how the culture of the church was taking form. But James says godly wisdom is a completely different lens than worldly wisdom. In godly wisdom, this is the outcome in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When I, I, what I love about these lists is when I read them, they remind me of the character of God. They remind me of who God is, and it also reminds me of how I want God to treat me. Gentle, peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. These are the, this is how I would characterize my relationship with God. But this is not how many times we characterize our relationship with other people. Right? Think of what we can do is think about how people have treated us, but that's not what James is asking the church to do. James is asking the churches to think about how the church has treated others. So instead of thinking about when we read something like this, man, last time I was in an argument, this person wasn't peaceable towards me or they weren't sincere or they, they didn't have mercy towards me. That's not the point of this. What we should be asking is how can I begin to be full of mercy towards others? How can I be gentle and open to reason when somebody does something that annoys me, that, that is something that I do not like, that I think is wrong, how do I, instead of dominating that person, saying, well, you know what, look at my title, look at my experience, look at my maturity as a Christian, you are wrong. Instead of dominating somebody, how can I be open to reason? How can I, how can I be a maker of peace in this situation where, Instead of listening to rebuttal against them, I can listen to understand what they're trying to say. Do you know, we don't have a problem of listening in the world. What we have is a problem of understanding. Of when we sit down and talk to somebody, human psychologists say that the way not to listen, right? A lot, a lot of people think if somebody's quiet, they're listening, and that's just untrue because you don't know what's going on in my mind. And I'm chatting up a storm while you're talking. Yo, this is why you're wrong. Yeah, you just said that point A of why you're wrong. Let me write that down. Point B of why you're wrong. Keep on talking, brother. Keep on talking, sister, because you're digging yourself in such a deep hole right now and you are done with, is that only how I think sometimes? Am I alone? No, I'm not. Well, I know I'm not alone because human psychology has backed me up. This is how most of us think when we're staying quiet in a conversation. We're not thinking about, how do I put mercy into this conversation? How do I gently talk? How do I reason with this person? Instead, many times as we think, how do I win? 
How do I win? How, what, what is the, the, the ambition, the selfish ambition that I have right now that I want it to be my way? But instead, what would it look like if we were people who sat down when somebody was talking, we actually tried to understand their view? You know, the greatest skill that I think any person can have is the skill of empathy. Empathy is learning to look at something through the lens of somebody else. And this is wisdom that is from God. That when somebody does something against you, your reaction isn't, man, this person is going down today. You don't know who you just crossed. I'm from Brooklyn, my man. I carried a knife in my pocket for five years every single day. Right, was that too real for a lot of you? That's a true story. <laughs> now, you don't know what, just, what, what you were just about to get into. You know, the question I got asked, I, I, I carried my knife in high school with me. The question I got asked by most people is, would you use it? And my response was, you better believe I'm going to use it. Because you don't know the fights that I would see happen after school every day. That it was life and death scenario a lot of times. Thank God I never had to use it, everybody. Everybody's wondering right now. Yo, Justin, you stabbed somebody? Nah, I'd never stab nobody. Thank God. But this is, this is how we think, right? Oh, if you knew me when I was unsaved. Oof, I hear that line all the time. Yo, we would be thrown down right now. If this was five years ago, oh, Bobby, you don't know what's coming to you. Right, and this is, this is how we think. We begin to justify, and in our head, we start going through these scenarios of how we are going to end up on top, how we are going to dominate, how we are going to win. Sometimes the scenarios go crazy. We killing people in our mind like, son, if it played out like this, you don't know where this was going to go. But James says, wisdom from above is what? When God changes your heart, your perspective should change towards people. Where now you become gentle, you become open to reason. Man, let me understand what you're talking about. Man, you were mad and you treated me like this today. Instead of thinking about how you offended me, how bitter I'm gonna become. Maybe I can start asking, man, did you have a rough morning? What's going on? Is, is there something going on at home? Can I, can I pray for you over something? Like maybe that's a text later on in the day. Hey, you seemed off today. Is there anything I can help you with? All right, this is wisdom from above. It's the exact opposite of wisdom from below. These are the ethics of cooperation rather than competition. The world says we are in competition with one another. Everything is about getting a competitive advantage, and I will win. The wisdom of God says, how do we cooperate with one another? Build each other up, sharpen each other, live as a body where you are the hand, I am the elbow, you're the neck, and we work together and function together. The way of living wise brings life it builds community, and it destroys needless competition among the church. But James continues with this indictment. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly or evilly to spend it on your passions. See, this jealousy, this selfish ambition, it causes the wrong passions, the wrong heart posture before God. The intentions and the desires of your heart become off. It's, I want to make more money. Why? So that I can have more power. I want to get that promotion. Why? So that people will listen to me when I speak. I want to get that degree. Why? So that when people say my name, they're going to say it with respect. James says this leads to murder, fighting, and arguing. You see it all the time in the world. I mean, just think on a literal scale, what causes wars and killing? One country wanting what another has. What starts corporate takeovers and greed that destroys people's pensions and savings? What? the desire for selfish gain. I don't care how many people I destroy. Literally some thousands of lives, I'm destroying their retirement, I'm destroying their future. Why? Because I want more. I want to consume. This is a dog-eat-dog world. I win, you lose. The logic of competition is envy. And when you envy, you move to eliminate. There is only one person. This is survival of the fittest that will win. When we live with the wisdom of the world, the people around us are not seen as family. They are seen as competitors. It's either us or them. And then I love this. James says, you want stuff? Ask God. Ask God for things that you want. Don't look around and see people as competition. Don't look around and get envious of what other people have. If you want, then ask. But let me tell you something. If you ask and you don't get, it's because you're asking wrong. There's something off in your desires. There's something off in your intentions. The, the throne room of your heart, the king, the Lord of your heart, is not directing your prayers, is not directing your desires, is not directing your vision for your future. So he says, ask God because God is the God who gives good gifts. God has unlimited resources. We do not live in a closed system with God. We cannot fathom the amount of resources he has. So James says, ask. Guess what? He gives generously to every single person that asks. But if you're asking and you are not receiving, then there's something wrong with why you're asking. Right? If, God, give me more money. <laughs> you know, I, I hear it just with that amount of intensity and tone all the time. Right? You think someone's stomping on the devil in their prayer. Nah, they're asking for a raise in their paycheck. Why? Because I want more comfort in my life. How does that build the kingdom? God, give me a promotion. Why? So I can feel better during Thanksgiving or Christmas when people ask me what I do for a living and I can tell them my new position at my job. God, make me a leader. Why? So that everything that I want to happen, I can make sure it happens. For many of us, God has become a Las Vegas slot machine. 
Will I strike lucky today and God is going to answer all my prayers? Or is he just going to stay silent up there? Let me tell you something. If God is not answering your prayers, it's because your heart is in the wrong place. The prayers that you are asking God to answer are not the things of God. They are the wisdom of the world. Ask yourself when you pray, why do I want this? Is it to advance my comfort on earth or to advance the kingdom of God? Ask yourself, why why would that promotion be good? Why would more money be good? Is it because I am advancing the kingdom of God or is it because I want nicer things in my life? I want to consume more. I want to live with the wisdom of the earth more. I want to do what is right in my own eyes. I want a better sound system, bigger TV, a nicer vacation. Why are we asking God for these things? And sometimes we lie to ourselves, God, I'm asking for more because I'm going to give you more. And God is looking at what you're doing now and he's saying, you ain't giving me anything though. How are you going to give me more? You got to give at least a dollar, you know, to make it more. You know, basic multiplication at 100,000 times zero is zero at the end. You can't give more when there's nothing there. So we ask ourselves, man, God, why, why isn't these prayers being answered? James says, you adulterous. Man, the, the church is the bride of Christ. And when we move our passion as a church, when we move our desire as a church, our intentions, where our heart is, when we move away from God, we begin to commit adultery against him. We begin to say, God, I know we are supposed to be in a loving, committed relationship, but guess what? That thing looks really shiny and it looks really nice. And so I I really want that. And so let me go that way instead. You know, the outcome of that person's life looks good when we don't know the death and destruction that is brewing in their heart. James says, you adulterous, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. To James, what it meant to be a friend of something, what it meant at this time to be a friend was above all that you shared everything. You had the same mind, you had the same outlook, you had the same view of reality. This is what a friend was. It was we have a common bond. We have common goals. We share with each other. We share the, the, the dreams of our future together. We share our outlook on life together. We share these meaningful things together. But James is saying, when you are friends with the world, your, your logic of the world is envy. It's, it's rivalry. It's, it's competition. It's selfish ambition. It's, it's eventually leading to murder, hatred in your heart. We, we go to church every week and we have a personal goal list that God cannot be found on. And then we say, well, no, I'm just, I'm friends with everybody. You ever had that kid in school that's just friends with everybody? At some point, somebody's going to do something to somebody else, 
and you ain't gonna be able to be friends with everybody anymore. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, I will not allow the church to live like this. We cannot be friends with everybody. We cannot be a friend of the world, desire what the world has, want what the world wants, do what the world does, and still act like we are cool with God. I cannot be a friend of God and treat my neighbor poorly. It just doesn't work. It's not the wisdom of God. I cannot be a friend of God and be driven by selfish ambition. There is something wrong with my heart. I cannot be a friend of God and cause disorder in my community and division amongst the church. It does not work that way. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. You know, there's something crazy about the truth. And it's this, that whether you believe it or not, the truth is the truth. So whether you want to believe it or not that your actions are choosing your friendships, that you still want to say, no, I'm, I'm good with God, but my actions do not show that, then the truth is I'm an enemy of God. The church so often tries to be friends with the world and friends with God, and James is not having it. but he gives this amazing solution. He doesn't just leave us hanging saying, you know what, you have done an awful job. Enjoy your destruction and your competition and your murder and your envy. I'm done with you. He doesn't do that. See, he offers a solution to a church that finds itself in this scenario. And that solution is surprisingly simple. Turn to God. Turn to God. In chapter four, verse seven, James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. If you find yourself in this situation, if your wisdom, if the fruit of your life is not the fruit of God, but it is the fruit of the world, then this is what you need to do. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Some of us go to God all happy about our sin. Did it again. We cool though, right? Oops. We good? Right? Little smirk on her face like a kid just caught doing something wrong. Like, ah, you don't really want to spank me right now. We good. But no. James says this, be wretched and mourn. Weep. Before God, realize what you have done, that you have become an adulterer against him, that you have sinned against him. But by every stretch of the imagination, he should divorce you and 
kick you away from his life. But when we come and we say, God, I realize where my sin has led me. I realize what you should do in your righteous judgment. But I mourn and I weep and I'm wretched before you. I humble myself before you. I am lowly before you. I realize that I have trampled on the blood of your son. And this is not light. I come to you now. I submit my heart. I submit my passions. I submit my desires. I submit my wants. I give them all to you. James is saying, submit all of it to God. Give yourself over to him. Mourn over the life that you have lived in adultery against him. Weep over the ways that you have trampled on his blood. Be lowly. See the weight of the sin that is bearing down on your shoulders that you can no longer bear. That when we repent, when we are humble before him, when we submit to him, What does he do in that repentance, in that humility, in that submission? God then takes us from our lowly place and he exalts us before the throne. He lifts us up and he says, you are my chosen son and my chosen daughter. You now have an inheritance before me that is imperishable. You have been washed by the blood of the lamb. You can now boldly come before the throne of grace in full confidence of what Jesus has done before. And you can then say before, God, thanks be to God for you have saved my soul. As Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. But now, before you, humble and contrite heart, I just have this beautiful image of God just coming down and exalting, lifting us up, saying the burden is gone. You now have mine, which is light. The yoke is gone. The thing around your neck that was heavy, that controlled you, that is gone. What you have is mine. It is light. It is easy. Will we be a church that comes before God in full submission, willing to humbly admit, Father, we have sinned against you. But now I come before you and repent. Can we stand today? James was calling the church to a true conversion in his sermon. To repent of the ways they have been double-minded. Speaking words to God one day and living another the next. Let's pray. God, we turn to you today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come with your conviction and lead us to repentance for the ways that we have been an adulterer against you, that we, as the bride, have broken our covenant with you and have turned away from you for ways that we thought we can be friends with the world and with you and all would be well. Lord, forgive us. We come before you and repent and we ask that we would live with a godly wisdom.
And we thank you that your scripture says that those who ask for wisdom, we serve a God who gives it generously. So Holy Spirit, pour out your wisdom generously among us today for those who ask. It says here that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Help us draw near today, not only with our words, but with our actions.